good to be here this morning. Good to see you here along with us this morning. And we welcome those of you who are joining us via, via Facebook and the Internet. Um, just want to give you a word of update on, on uh, Donna. You are waiting to hear that uh, she's doing well. And uh, she had a successful surgery. It was a very long and uh, complicated surgery. It went over four and a half hours. But I appreciate your prayers during that time. And uh, she expressed to me that she felt and appreciated your prayers as well. She is resting, recovering now. She'll be in the hospital for a few more days. You don't know exact date that she'll be released, but we'll let you know. I just want to encourage you to keep praying and uh, just thank you for your, your many prayers. I know they're felt by both, both of us, Donna and I. <clears throat> It's good to see you here today. See, some we haven't seen in a while. We're just glad to see and glad to have back the uh, Asia Dynasty. Good to see you both. Praise God for you. We've been praying for you and for your family. It's been a hard year. It's been a tough year. We've experienced uh, death and uh, sickness and hardship and uh, all types of things. But through it all, we uh, we... We see that the Lord is, is bringing us through, and he's able to do that. Um, I want to uh, invite you to turn in your Bibles for our scripture reading in Galatians chapter 5. We'll continue our series in Galatians today. Galatians chapter 5. We'll read that chapter in its entirety. If you don't have your own Bible, our ushers have Bibles available. If you raise your hand, they'll bring one to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. Galatians chapter 5. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. If you would just listen and follow along as I read, the reading from the ESV, English Standard Version, Galatians chapter 5 in its entirety. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the gospel has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you will, would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May God give us understanding and direct our hearts in his word as we preach through this passage in our series here in Galatians. Let's bow now for a time of prayer before our choir comes with special music and then the preaching of God's word today. You know what I'll do today? is instead of me just leading prayer, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to ask uh, two or three would, uh, would um, have a word of prayer this morning. And uh, I'll let you volunteer to do that. Just go ahead and pray. Here's what I want you to pray for. We have many needs uh, represented in, in our church today. We have uh, several who are not with us today uh, for different reasons, sickness and health. Um, work and um, want to ask you to pray for, for those individually. Um, I can mention, I know Lawrence is here, but he, is, he is, has some ailments with his foot and he's, he's barely making it, but let's continue to pray for him and God would uh, um, heal and, and take care of him. It's good to see Jonathan again today. I know he's, he's been uh, challenged in the, in the, the virus, and he's, God has helped him to overcome that. But with his asthma, that's a, a, a special um, a danger to him. So it's good, it's good to see him and his whole family. Uh, speaking of Jonathan, Jonathan Edwards is not here today. He normally comes with me, and uh, he was not feeling good today. That's unusual for him to, to, to call and say, I won't be able to go to church today. But keep him in mind in prayer. Now, we're going to have a couple mics. Aaron has a mic for those who want to lead in prayer. So... We're going to take two or three people to just pray for, for those concerned. It was good to see my dad last week, continue to pray for him and his health. I want to pray for my wife, Donna, and her recovery as you've been praying for, for her. and continue that. Um, understand that um, uh, Jacqueline and her family are going through some, some challenges with their health, so keep them in mind in prayer. Um, we've, been, we've been praying for Trinace's mom and... Uh, her, her diagnosis with her cancer, and we pray that 
um, God will just sustain her. We understand that she is a believer, so we want to see her strong in the faith and, and uh, her testimony just to go on from there. Any other needs we want to mention tonight for, uh, today for prayer? All right, let's bow in prayer. We'll be led by three who will lead. If you raise your hand, we'll bring a mic before you go ahead and pray. One has a mic, another raised hand. We'll bring a mic to you right now. If you raise your hand for prayer, here it is right here. And then the third will we'll pass by one who already has a mic. So when those finish praying, if you'd like to pray, raise your hand. We'll bring a mic to you for prayer. Yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for allowing us in your presence today, Lord. Uh, what a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord. We thank you for just being here, Lord. We pray for those who would normally be here, but under circumstances of illness, they're not. We thank you for our First Lady Donna. The report is really well, good. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for uh, Bob Kenner, who was here last week, but is not here. And want to pray for Trenace. Her mom is, uh, is ill. And pray for that family, Lord, that uh, your will will be done that you might draw men and women to yourself. We thank you for seeing many's granddaughters here today, Lord. What a blessing. The spirit of uh, many is here with, with her granddaughters, and we just thank you. We thank you for those who have been sick and recovered. We thank you for Jonathan Holt, who's here today and his family, celebrating his son's birthday. Thank you for Jonathan Edwards, who normally would be here, Lord, just smiling. He's not here today. We thank you, Lord, and we just pray for uh, his recovery and uh, for Jacqueline who would normally be here who's sick and I know Shell has had a problem with her sinuses and Lawrence with his leg and Lord this 2020 is about to be over and Lord and we will gladly see it go but we have no uh, understanding what's coming in 21 Lord it, it might be worse the thing we know that you are still on the throne you are in charge Lord no matter what happens we we are faithful and just to believe that and understand it, Lord, and uh, what, even though we're going through all of this right now, we trusting in you, Lord. We give our heart and soul to you, and no matter what governments say, what cities say, what viruses say, you are on the throne, and that we can count on. We can count on it every Sunday morning uh, as we are counting on it this morning, Lord. We thank you for our pastor. We pray that you will use him mightily this morning as he delivers the word that hearts might be changed that we might not walk out the same way that we came in that you might speak to our hearts lord impress upon us what you need us and want us to do for christ's sake amen heavenly father just uh continuing in prayer oh god we we come before you your throne this morning lord just thank you that we can do that that we've been called as your children oh god that we can come before your throne of grace and mercy in a time of need. And Lord, we always need you. And you're always there. And we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy, your grace. And I echo the prayer request of my brother that just prayed before me. And I pray, oh God, again, that uh, I just want to echo, I just want to say thank you again for uh, bringing Donna through this. It's been a long journey for her. Uh, with the initial diagnosis and then the healing and now this final uh the surgery and everything's gone well with that again i i echo that and i i thank you for that i thank you for your provision i thank you you are jehovah jireh you are our provider regardless of 
whatever we're going through, oh God, that you are able. You said to do all things, oh God, and you also say that we are also more than overcomers through Jesus Christ who loves us, oh God. And I pray now, now again, uh, for uh, the, the message going forth, oh God, that you would uh, feel pastor us with your Holy Spirit, that uh, you would give him the words that you would want him to teach to us, but also prepare our hearts to receive, oh God. Help us, to, our ears to be attentive. Uh, help us to pay attention uh, to your word as it's being preached this morning. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We reflect back this year and see how good God is in keeping us, providing for us. I look at Brother Charles Alexander and his face and just reminded this very week marks the year of the passing of his wife, Beverly, on the 12th of November. And it's around this time that... Uh, we just remember how many things that God has done. But to see him and to see his testimony and his faithfulness since then, he has not wavered. And God has kept him. And we can see God's goodness and we can say with the choir, my God is awesome. We praise God for who he is and what he's done. Today we look at Galatians chapter 6, and verse 1 provides a summary for us of Galatians. It kind of goes with the last chapter and ties into chapter 5 as well. And it says this, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christ has set us free. He uses the term of slavery here and freedom to express the work that, the benefit that we have gotten from the work that Christ has done. And he's reminding his readers that this freedom is real because the slavery was real and that the only thing that broke us from that yoke of slavery is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's talking to a group of people who have listened to this false teaching that it's obedience and adherence to some standard, the law or whatever it is, that sets people free. And he says, no. Just the opposite. You've been tied to obeying something to try to get yourself free and to make yourself a slave. He says, it's Christ who sets you free. And he's reminding them to remember and to never forget that. It's Christ who sets you free. And he sets you free so that you might be free and be free to serve him. He says, don't be entangled again. Don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. The term yoke is 
a terminology that's used in, in agriculture when you tie two animals together so that they might uh, uh, pull a sled and, and perform work in digging up dirt. And by tying them together, you get the strength of two and not just the strength of one. But they, they're tied together and it's a burden. They must pull. They must pull together. One can't drag and the other pull. They must pull. And they can't get loose from that. They're bound to do that work. They're not free to just gallop around and do whatever they want. They are bound for a task. So he says, don't be tied up again in slavery. Don't submit yourself to that type of slavery. In, we, we might ask ourselves a question, why is this letter important to us today? We don't deal with really this threat of, of circumcision. That's not something that we even hear much in, in, even in religious circles. Um, but why the thought or why are we introducing that and what good does that do today? What Paul is, is really talking about is where our justification lies. Well, let's talk about what justification means, first of all. And so in chapter 2 of Galatians, he explains this term, and he's using, he uses the term justification. In verse 15 and 16, let's start with verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Justified means to be made right or to declare righteous by God so that we are in right relationship with him. He says that doesn't happen by our adherence or obedience to any law, but it happens by us putting faith in Christ. He says that's the only way that that happens. A person is not justified by works of the law. So when he says works of the law, it's clear in their mind, in talking about circumcision was a work of the law. It was the obedience to the, to, to, to the uh, Ten Commandments or to the, the, the Old Testament law of God. He says, it's good to know that you don't have to do that now to be right with God because you could never do it anyway. That's what frees us. And when he, when he says works of the law, he says anything that you might try to do to make yourself right with God doesn't accomplish that. In fact, it accomplishes nothing. But that's where it ties into us today. All religions or all efforts to be okay are, are, are something that man does or, or human beings do to try to be in a right standing with God. And Christianity says, no, it's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done that makes a person right. And when they trust in Christ, in Christ alone, they're made right with God. So he just reiterates that in verse 16. By works of the law, it says, 
A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works in the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Then again, in, in that same chapter, last verse, verse 21, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God. He brings this term grace. He's, he's brought the term faith. And now the term grace. We are justified by grace through faith. We are made right with God by God's doing. That's grace, not our own. And it's, it's, we have access to it through faith, through believing in Christ. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If one could be made right and okay with God by, by working it out himself and obeying the law, then there's no need for Christ. And he said, if that's the case, what did God do? What was he doing when he had Christ come, when he had him live a holy life, when he had him die on the cross? He said, if that's the case, it was for, to no avail. In other words, Christ was foolish for dying for people who didn't really need it. Nobody needed it if they could do it themselves. So the Bible is clear. There's no way that any human being could be right with God apart from faith in Christ. That's the only way. That's the only option that God has that works for you or for me. That's why we preach this gospel, this salvation of grace through faith. also want to well, let's get into chapter 5. He, he, he introduces or he continues the same theme of slavery and bondage or freedom. Can we follow that theme a little bit? In chapter 1, verse 10, he says this. I'm sorry. Do I have the right one? Yeah. For I am now... For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The term servant of Christ sticks out to me. He's talking about, talking about being a servant of something, that bondage and freedom. Either we are a servant of sin or we are a servant of Christ. Paul says he's a servant of Christ. That's why he doesn't try to please man. And notice, you can't be both. You can't be a servant of God, a servant of Christ, and then be a servant of man at the same time. They contradict. Doesn't mean that you don't do, you don't serve men in any way. It's that it's not your, it is not your goal to please man. It's your goal to please God. You put that first. In chapter 2, verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Use the term servant again. In chapter 3, verse 22, he, he uses that term a lot. Uh, we see, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Talking about the law. That the law put, it, it bound everybody. 
using that term of bondage again. The same thing in verse 23, 24, 25, and 28. Gets to chapter 4, verse 1, he uses it again. Verse 3, even in verse 5, there's the, 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 the term is to redeem those who were under the law. Redeem means to purchase those who were formerly slaves. Buy them off the slave market. So it's rich in that, that terminology, isn't it? Verse 8, verse 9, verse 22 of chapter 4, verse 23, 24, 25, 26, 30, and 31. Keep touching on that theme of slavery and bondage. And he's making it clear that under the law and under sin, we were slaves and we couldn't get free. But when he gets to chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, For freedom Christ has set us free making it clear what God has done and, and what that means for us. You're free, he says. You're free. Live like it. Verse 13 of chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Live like it. Back in... Let's go back a little bit in chapter 5 and see another theme that begins to come together. In chapter 5, verse 5, he introduces this theme. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Through the Spirit, he says. He begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. And that's an important um, term now. He's, talking a, he's talked a little bit about it before. and In chapter 3, verse 2, he says this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law by hearing with faith? He says, how did the Holy Spirit come to you? Was it because you were, were, were doing, uh, 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 being obedient to the law? Or was it because you trusted in Christ? So he introduces that again in chapter 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So he, he makes it, he, 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 he reminds them, you didn't start this thing by yourself. It's the Holy Spirit that started this. And if you're going to continue, it's going to be by the Holy Spirit that you're going to continue. Not by your own doing. The same chapter, verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Speaks of the Holy Spirit there. In chapter 4, verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. God has sent his spirit into the hearts of those who have trusted in Christ. And then in chapter 5, he, he embellishes this theme of the spirit and the spirit's work. So let's talk about this because in chapter 5, it becomes a, 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 a prominent theme. 
he talks about the conflict between flesh and spirit. Verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The reason why he brings up the Spirit, he begins to talk about the Spirit all the way from verse 16 to the end of the chapter, to verse 26. Every, it seems like every verse in there, he says something about the Holy Spirit's work or the contrast between the work of the Spirit and the work of the flesh. He's saying that because this. He's saying Christ has set you free. And you're not bound by the law. And see, you see, some people around had trouble with that. They said, well, wait a minute. If the law, we don't have to obey the law anymore, what keeps us steered in the right direction? What, what, what makes us not get off the path? We need a law, don't we? Don't, don't, don't we need to adhere to something? Uh, are we just free to do whatever we want? And so there came this, this idea or this accusation against Christianity that these Christians who are, are promoting this freedom are really going against anything that is common sense, anything that means what we would call today law and order, right? We believe in, in law and order. In fact, we try to work an orderly society. The problem there, though, is you can't maintain that uh, well, well, in order to maintain that, you've got to have an enforcer, right? You've got to have somebody who's going to challenge every uh, uh, action against the law and bring a right consequence. And even when you do that, you, you aren't developing a, a, a behavior. You're just punishing wrong behavior. Now, in punishing wrong behavior, you hope to encourage right behavior, and that's not a bad thing to do. But it doesn't work very well. It's very hard to do because of the sinfulness of mankind. Look, look what Paul says here in verse 7 of chapter 5. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He says, you, when I preached the gospel to you at first, you, you were in line with it and you were going okay, but something happened. He says, you were running well. He gives the analogy of, of, of a track meet or, or a race. And you know in a race, each, each, each runner has its own lane. And, and so there's some things that you can do and some things that you can do, you can't do that violate of the race. And one of them is to cut the other person off and cause them to lose step or trip or, or, or get kicked out of the race. He says, you were running well, but somebody cut in front of you and knocked you off stride and, and, and knocked you out of the race. You know, you can knock somebody off and, and they can trip and fall and they no longer are able to be in the race. Probably an analogy that, that, that we can understand better is, is the driving analogy, right? You pull up to the, to, to the stoplight, and there's somebody on your right. And you know, just past the intersection, there's parked cars on the right. So there's only one lane that you can really drive in. And you wonder, what is this clown going to do that you are both going to fit in one lane? You know what he's going to do. He's going to speed up and squeeze in in front of you and then go his way. But now what happens if he doesn't have enough room to squeeze in? 
Well, you know what he's going to do, at least in Milwaukee, is very common. We see it every day. As, as he comes in, instead of waiting and yielding to you, he's just going to charge right ahead and dare you to keep going. And so he is liable to knock you off your path, or you might have to swerve to avoid him, and you're in danger. You're the one that's hitting ongoing traffic. You're the one that's slamming on the brakes, car going out of control, into an accident. You taken out of the race. <laughs> he said, what happened to you? You were running well, but who is this that slammed up against you and caused you to be knocked out? That's the analogy that he uses. We said, well, what's the solution? Every time that happens, and, and I have to say, I, I see it happen almost every day. <laughs> you drive down the streets of Milwaukee, you, you, you'll see it. I always say, man, where are the police, right? I mean, I'm not blaming them. I just wish they could have been there. And the police are saying, hey, we can't be everywhere. Even after the accident, we're not likely to show up real soon because we got so, much, so many other idiots we're dealing with that we don't have time for all of them. That's the problem with, with, with trying to have an orderly society with just laws. All you have is law enforcement. In other words, after the law has been violated, we come along and we clean up the mess. And we assess who should be charged and who shouldn't. That's the best we can do. I'm not downing those who do that. I have a son who's a police officer, so obviously I don't down that. But that's the best we can do. Paul says, look, you got better than just law enforcement. The Old Testament is like the law. It says, hey, you've done wrong. You violated. And there may be a penalty coming from that, but at least we want to let you know that there's a violation here. But that only does so much depending on if the person cares if they violate it or not, or if you can actually catch them violating, right? God says, I got a better system. Not just a law enforcement. Not just an enforcer. I have an indweller. I have someone. I have the Holy Spirit who's going to come and live within. So don't, you don't need an external code that's going to tell you this is wrong and this is right. I mean, that's good. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that code. But you need also with that something, someone who lives within and says, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't run up on the side of that man and cause him to swerve like that. Don't do it. See, that's what I want. Better than a police officer. I'm saying to myself, I wish he had some sense. I wish he had a voice in him telling him not to do that. I wish that voice had some power to move and to change and affect his behavior. That person is the Holy Spirit. What Paul is introducing here is to say, look, the reason why you can be free from the law and you're not going to have lawlessness or chaos is because God has given the indweller, the Holy Spirit to his people to guide them. And now I want to tell you that's much better than any law. Because the law would just say, hey, what you did was wrong. And if I had a law enforcement on, over here right now, you'd be in trouble. 
But they laughing back, saying, I don't see him. I don't see no law enforcement. So I'm finna run this red light. And you can't do nothing to me. And I'm going to keep on running it and keep on doing what I want to do. That, that's what's happening in our world. But, but the Holy Spirit says, look, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm changing that from the inside. I'm going to indwell those who trust in Christ. And th- I, I'm, not, I'm not bound to the law to restrict their behavior. There's a new law. So he begins to introduce this new law. He says in verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. But I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Paul was confident that they would come to recognize what he was saying. Why? Because the Holy Spirit living in them will find agreement in the words that he spoke through the power and persuasion of the Holy Spirit. You say, Holy Spirit, no Holy Spirit. And they would recognize that because of the Holy Spirit in them would, would cause them to, to listen, to pay attention to what he was saying. They have confidence then, he says. Confidence in who? In the Lord. I have confidence in the Lord. The Lord is speaking to, through me. The Lord is working in his believers, in you. And so I have confidence that what's said by the Lord by me will be hit, heard by the Lord, the Holy Spirit, in you and have an impact on your life. He says, I wish those troubling you, <laughs> the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is, Paul probably knew who those individuals were. And he was trusting that over to the Lord. But he gives a sense of his disdain for them. <laughs> we see that in verse 12, don't we? I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. He, we know what he's saying. They believe in circumcision. Why don't they go all the way? If that's so good for them, if that's so much of the truth, if that's so powerful in, the, in, in this life of, of, of religious obedience, then why don't they just go all the way with it? Cut themselves off is what he says. Strong language. But Paul says, look, this, this adherence to try to gain righteousness is a silly idea. And it doesn't coincide, it doesn't go with the gospel. That's the problem with it. And now he begins to speak on the Holy Spirit the rest of the chapter. And again, what I said before, Paul is saying, look, it's not the law that keeps and, 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 and manages our behavior. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. Look how he explains it. Verse 16, I say, walk in by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says there's a conflict between the Spirit and the flesh. You can see that conflict that, that's echoed throughout the whole writing, throughout the whole letter of Galatians. He, he, he ties that conflict of the Spirit and the flesh. Maybe we should look at a few of those. Look at chapter 3, verse 3. 
we spoke over this already. Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit, or are you now being perfected by the flesh? He says, what a silly idea. It's the Holy Spirit that gave you life, and you're going to keep and hold on to that life and perfect it by the flesh? That's not God's purpose. That's not his design. That's not what he intended. In chapter 4, continues that theme. We've looked at some of those verses, so I won't go through those again. But verse 29, he says this. Verse 28 and 29. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you're all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. He goes in the next chapter to talk about the difference between the heir of the son and the slave. And he explains it by saying, remember what he said about Abraham having two sons. One was a son of the flesh and one was a son according to the promise or according to the spirit. In fact, he uses that same term. Verse 29 of chapter 4, but, I, but just at the same time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. There's a contrast between those two, the flesh and the Spirit. And the flesh represents, it, it's not like, you know, your skin is evil. Uh, 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 he's not talking about that. What he's saying in flesh, what he's talking about is that which is according to human merit, human action, human attempts. Remember what he said according to the flesh, that, that Ishmael was a son according to the flesh? Ishmael was the product of, of Sarah saying to Abraham, look, we know God got a plan, but, you know, we can't wait. We don't know how that's all going to work. So let's do our own plan. Why don't you hook up with Hagar, and then you have a son? And so the son born through that was a son according to the flesh. Human effort, human attempt to accomplish something that God said he himself would accomplish. That's what according to the flesh stands in contrast with the Spirit's work. What are you doing with your life? Are you trying to accomplish something in your own power? Or are you going to uh, rest in what God accomplishes and only what he can do? So he makes that contrast between according to the flesh and according to the Spirit. Back in chapter 5, he says, there's a fight, a battle going on, verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and then the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, that works both ways, doesn't it? <laughs> it the, 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 I, I have the Holy Spirit in me as a believer. I also have my own desires. He calls those the desires of the flesh. And they, they go against, there's a war, there's a battle going on. There's, sometimes I want to please God and, and, and do what he wants me to do. That's what the Spirit is, is pressing on my heart. But then I have my own flesh that wants to do its own thing. And we all have, all those who, who trust in Christ, have that battle ongoing so that it's hard to do what you want to do. Now, that goes both ways. It's hard to do the good that you would have, that you would want to do. It's a challenge to do that. We struggle to do that. But the good thing is it's hard 
to get all the way into the bad that your flesh would want to do too. The Holy Spirit won't give you up. He will convict your heart. He will challenge you. He will not let you rest and be comfortable in the pig pen anymore. So there's the battle. Praise God for that battle. In fact, I tell folks, you know, as I counsel, he said, well, Pastor, I'm struggling with this. And the first thing I want to know, are you really struggling? Because if you're struggling, that's good. <laughs> but if you're not struggling and it's done one, it's just beating you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not a good indication. But are you struggling with it? Now let's see how you can get over and win that struggle. He says, verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The Spirit is a powerful person in work and does a powerful work in our lives. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's a freedom that we have, but that's a power that we have in us. That the Holy Spirit has a law himself. And he's guiding us by. Can we go back in the chapter and kind of see that in verse 6 in chapter 5? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He introduced for the first time this idea of love and the Spirit. The Holy Spirit then is working within us. And he's working what I call the law of love. Because we now have a new love within us. We now have a new desire. And he's working in that new desire to make us a new being, to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, to make us more and more like him. That's the ongoing thing that the Holy Spirit is accomplishing in us. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You don't need to be. The Holy Spirit's work is powerful in you. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. And we can all relate to these. We've seen them. Our flesh gravitates towards some of them. Let me say this. Not all of us gravitate towards every sin. (laughs) It's what I call flavors. We have different flavors that appeal to us and different things that, that, that uh, uh, we will gravitate to. And so, but all of it is of the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident. He goes through this whole list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and look at this one, and things like these. In other words, it's not a complete list. It's a sample. It's a sample of those things that our flesh gravitate to. Those things that are against God's purpose and his will, they are sinful. Notice what he says about these. I warned you. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, those who are led by their their, uh, sinful impulses are not going to be those who are part of the kingdom of God. Now, it sounds like, I mean, that's a little trouble here because 
Paul is, is combating this idea that you have to obey the law to be saved. And yet he says those who do these simple things, they're not going to be part of the kingdom of God. It sounds like he's right in with, with the people who say, see, I told you, you got to obey the law to be saved. But he's not saying that. He's saying when the Holy Spirit lives in you, he, he guides you, persuades you, motivates you against these sinful behaviors so that you're no longer desiring or you're no longer led by them anymore. You're not a slave to them. They don't take over your life anymore because he says if they were the, the pattern of your life, if they were, uh, 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 if you were mastered by them, you would not be part of God's kingdom. So what he's saying, it's a new standard. It's not the law. It's the Holy Spirit inside you that's guiding you and directing you and, and making a conflict with those old things, that those simple patterns that were part of your life. The Holy Spirit is saying, no, no, no. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says, but, but the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not a contrast between sin and the law. It's a contrast between what, what is the power, what's the motivating force behind you now, or behind the believer now? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit within. He drives us. He compels us. He indwells us so that we fight the battle against sin. He does this this way. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. First of all, he says this is fruit. This is what the Holy Spirit produces in the life of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Notice Paul is saying if he's not producing this and your, your behavior matches the, the, the uh, it matches the works of the flesh, then you're not part of the kingdom of, of, of heaven. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. What the Holy Spirit produces is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says this, against such things there is no law. What does he mean by that? These are not things that a law can produce. There's no law that can produce this character within a person. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. And only the Holy Spirit can produce this type of character. God is purifying his believers. They, how, how is the Holy Spirit given to us? It's by faith in Jesus Christ. And when he's given to us, he produces this type of character. So it's not our doing in the essence of we're trying to obey the law and so we just don't do this and we don't do that. But it's, it's that God has given us a whole new nature within and, and whole new desires 
And those desires conflict with any of that old sinful behavior that was a part of our lives before. Now, the, the difference, though, is that it's not us getting the credit. You see, the Judaizers then were, were saying, you need to be righteous by maintaining, that, hey, you're not going to do this, and you're not going to do that, and, and you just won't get involved in this, and you just won't get involved in that. Your strong resolve then keeps you right. Paul says, no, uh-uh, that's not the way. Because if that's the case, you don't need Christ at all. There's no room for faith in that. He says, no, you realize that you are a sinner and that there's no way you can meet God's standard. And so Christ came along and says, I meet God's standard for you. If you would put your trust in me, I will give to you, I will account to you righteousness. And I will give you my Holy Spirit, and now you will begin to change your behavior because the Holy Spirit inside you will work himself out. He will do that work. So the difference is that I don't get credit for cleaning up myself. It's God who did it from the inside out. I don't walk around, pat myself on the back and say, hey, I don't do that no more. I'm better than that. That's not it because it's not me who cleaned up me. It's the Holy Spirit. In fact, I still want to do wrong things, but the Holy Spirit said, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. You do that, you're going to violate me. And you're not going to be comfortable with that. You're not going to be able to sleep at night. You're going to have to live with conviction over and over and over. I believe there, there are some people who've trusted in Christ who are just miserable because they are trying to go against the Holy Spirit's leading. And what they need to do is submit themselves to the Holy Spirit. I was in that position, I remember before, I was trying to do, I was trying to be free myself. Free from, from the history that I had of, of being a preacher's boy and, and, and free to do whatever I wanted to do. But what I didn't realize, what I had to learn is, look, I was free, freed from sin when I trusted in Christ. But I wasn't free to sin that I trusted in Christ. In fact, the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, I'm not letting you be comfortable in that. I'm there to produce my works in you. And I'll produce them. So you can fight that and be miserable. You can submit to that and recognize what God has ordered and done in your life. In fact, I like the passive voice that Paul talks about when he talked about this thing of salvation. I want to end with this, um, but I want to show you two things. When he talks about his own salvation, he uses a passive voice. What I mean by passive voice is we say, not that I did something, but that something was done to me. That's the passive voice. Not that I did this or that, but something was done to me. And, and he uses that in, in two occasions. Can, 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 can we look at briefly at that? In chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, when he talks about his own salvation, he says this. When he who had set me apart before I was born. Now, you know it's passive because he's talking about an action that happened before he was even born. He couldn't possibly have anything to do with it. And what was his action? He set me apart. Not that I set myself apart. He set me apart. So it's a passive voice. Verse 15. 
But when he who has set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, he called me. The work is being done by him on me. He set me apart. I didn't set myself apart. I didn't call myself. I didn't even, he didn't even say I answered the call. He says he called me. In other words, the call was, was, was something we would call that, 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 that you can't turn from. <laughs> it's irresistible. God drew him in such a way that he said, Paul, in that case, Saul, you coming. You may intend to, to, to kill some Christians. You may have set your mind on your road to Damascus that you were going to do some harm, but I'm stopping all of that, and I'm calling you to myself. So Paul uses that passive sense when he talks about God's work in his life for salvation, but not just for him, but for them, for the Galatians as well. Look at this. In chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, he almost stumbles when he says it. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, see how he, he, he clarifies that? You didn't just come to know God, you came to be known by God. It's God's work in revealing himself to you to let you know him. It's a passive voice. That's what salvation is. Paul says it was passive voice in his own personal experience. And he says it's a passive voice in your life. That's why I can say to you, stop resisting God's call and trust him. Because you think you can do whatever you want. And you have freedom to do as you please. But when God calls, he's sovereign. He is Lord. And he calls. That's why Paul could say to these believers in Galatians, say, look, I trust in God that you're going to come around. If you don't come around, you never were believers. But I trust that you're going to listen to because the Holy Spirit living in you is going to acknowledge the Holy Spirit that's speaking through me. And something's going to happen. That's why I can speak with confidence because it's not my voice or my power that draws a person. It's the Holy Spirit doing that work. You come here and you listen to God's word. You didn't come just to listen to me. You come because God is speaking to your heart. Now, I might be that conduit or the avenue that, that comes from at this po point, at this time, on, in this service. God uses others as well, but he is speaking to your heart. And it's his power that's grabbing you. It's his power that's working in your life, that's drawing you. And that gives you a whole lot of confidence because, you know, when you come to Christ, you can say, well, God, I can't give this up. This sin has a hold on me, and I can't stop doing this. And, I can't. and the answer is you can't. But he didn't expect you to. He says, I give you the Holy Spirit. In other words, I give my power living in you that you can't resist and sin can't win over. 
that gives you the power to do what I've called you to do. That is so strong. It's so powerful. Can I give you a little analogy as we close? It's like Jesus. Remember in John chapter 11, Jesus comes up to the grave of Nazareth, who's Lazarus, who did. He says, I'm going to call you to do something you can't possibly do, and that is live. You can't even listen to what I have to say unless I give you that power. And he comes up to Lazarus' grave, and he tells him to open it. He says, are you kidding? Are you going crazy? Open it? He's been in there too long. We know this scene. He says, open it. And then he says something. Lazarus, come on out here. What? He speaks to a dead man. Come here. What happened? Lazarus got up and came. That's what happens when God calls a person to salvation. He says, come here. Lazarus didn't say, oh, but Lord, I'm dead. I got all these clothes wrapped around me. I can't move. He said, I didn't ask you by your power. I asked you by my power to come here. Now we get home, Marvel. How does that happen? I can tell you, I don't know. It's greater than me. It's beyond my power to even comprehend, but God does it, and he's done it over and over and over again. And his room is filled with people. <laughs> experienced that for their own life. We love to see it happen over and over again because it's God's doing. Father, we thank you for your word today, for your power, for your Holy Spirit that gives life and he keeps on giving even in 2020. He's doing it now. So we thank you for your wonderful work. We pray, Lord, that you would just do that work in the lives of those who are here. Those who have trusted in Christ may realize that your Holy Spirit has been given to them to have freedom to be servants of God, to serve you. We thank you for that freedom. We thank you for that bond and that bondage that we have in you. You won't let us go. You won't relinquish you command us now to serve you. And we thank you for that. You draw people to yourself, Lord. May you be honored. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray.